0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 173. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest Lower Decks episode, where pleasant fountains lie. And joining me today in the panel are Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, folks? Be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866. And I also want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest network called Let's Science. Our three friends from Australia, Caroline, Lindsay, and Lino, they tackle a fun or interesting topic of science every, every other week in about 15 or 20 minutes. It's a lot of fun and it's very interesting, and you should definitely check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash science or wherever you find fine podcasts. So uh, we are talking about low, the Slower Decks episode, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, and Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap? This week, Laxana Troy
1: shows up, and once again, she's really desperate to get Deanna a husband. Actually, it isn't Loxana, but Queen Paolana of Hesperia, a planet colonized by Rinfair enthusiasts. So the planet is basically a Rinfair in space. Her son is Chief Engineer Billups of the Cerritos, and she's always trying to trick him into not being a virgin, because if he stops being a virgin, he'll have to come home and become king of the Rinfair planet, and he doesn't want to. But this time, it seems she just needs help fixing an engineering problem on her ship, which Billups and Rutherford do, earning her respect. Then there is a catastrophic explosion, killing both her and Rutherford, so Billups decides to fulfill his duty to his home planet, resigns his commission in Starfleet, and prepares to stop being a virgin. Fortunately, Tendi discovers that this was just another one of his mother's elaborate tricks to get him to become king, and both the Queen and Rutherford are actually alive. They thus save Billups from becoming king. Meanwhile, Mariner and Boimler are assigned to take an evil supercomputer to the Daystrom Institute on Earth, but after they crash on a planet, the evil computer keeps trying to drive a wedge between the two of them so it can get connected to a computerized system and resume its evil plans. This seems to be working, and it looks like Boimler has abandoned Mariner and is going to let the evil computer have its way. But really, Boimler is one step ahead of the evil computer, so he only hooks it up to a useless computer system that controls a dimmer switch. But this (laughs) allows Boimler to get enough power to broadcast a distress signal, so the two of them are saved and the evil computer is safely delivered to the Daystrom Institute. The end
0: i just was thinking i wonder if the uh being connected to the dimmer switch is a is a sideways reference to the amazon echo yeah (laughs) all the smart home devices (laughs) so uh this episode take takes off of several trek episodes at once the features from it i mean including like you mentioned looks on a troy there are a lot of trek episodes that feature evil Evil supercomputers supercomputers. right um You know, especially in the original series, there was was a couple of them at least. Uh, Uh, At least, well, okay, so at least
1: there was uh the ultimate computer yep. where we had the m whatever it was with dr daystrom himself in it yeah um there wa- and his engrams were imprint- imprinted on it there was uh return of the Archons with the landrew supercomputer there yep. was the apple with the vol supercomputer uh, yeah there was strange. there was was it wasn't a private little war but there was the one where you had the two two competing planets that were letting a computer decide who died in their war right um so yeah lots of evil computer action going (laughs) on in the original series
0: it was yeah yeah, it was a common a common fear at the time right as computers were new so um, and apparently it continues because we see at
2: the end the the daystrom institute's repository of evil megalomaniacal computers
0: and (laughs) it's full it's full Including one I, I, that has the logo of the CBS logo on it, which was yes. awesome. That was great.
1: I, I like how they're all basically um, desktop-sized computers. You right. Know, just, <laughs> and, and with no monitors. It's just the CPU of a desktop-sized computer. Uh,
0: I have to say, the the one, uh, um, what was it? Uh, uh, what's What do they call this one? Uh, oh, Agamus. Lord Agamus. Yes, Agamus. It looked, it had a, the general shape and look of the of an original macintosh did you notice that <laughs> so, yeah. so it was kind of funny that the the this evil supercomputer was a, an original mac which was fun <laughs>
1: except it also had waving tendril tentacle
2: like uh <laughs> wires coming out of it USB, well, that, that's in the yeah. next version of the mac they'll it's, have those
0: next year yes they were all autonomous uh wires
2: in of course, we should mention, since we mentioned Ajimus, that he was voiced by the great Jeffrey Combs. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say returned. that's
1: that's the thing I was most excited about with Ajimus is we get Jeffrey Combs back. And if you don't remember who Jeffrey Combs is, he is he's an actor who in Star Trek has played. He's most famous for being Wayoon and mm-hmm. and Brunt on Deep Space Nine. He was also Shran on Enterprise and he did uh, bit parts on Voyager and I believe he did one on Next Gen.
0: Yeah, I, I'm i pretty sure he's been, you know, apart from the the modern era, uh, uh, he's he was in all of the Every Trick Trek series. So it is great to have Jeffrey Coombs. He's always fun. He's like, I just, his characters are always just so, there's something extra about them and it's, he doesn't disappoint in this one. This, this is funny.
1: Outside of Star Trek, he's famous for being Herbert for playing Herbert West in the Reanimator series based on H.P. Lovecraft's <laughs> Herbert West Reanimator stories. Oh, interesting.
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, Queen Paulana, who shows up as a sort of Luxana Troy analog. So there's another like a reference to previous Trek, and I mean she, it's it's a, that trope of the the queen mother who shows up to embarrass the child who's the crew member. It's it's. You know, right mm-hmm. there. That's the So that that was fun. Um, I Um And like you said, it is kind of uh, unique or interesting. The idea of a, the Renfair planet, which is mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, a planet that had dragons. So why wouldn't you go form a Renfair society there? Yeah.
1: I, I like how, as uh, Billups explains to Rutherford, they've, they, all the technology they have on their ship, it's typical engineering systems, but they've renamed everything so it sounds like magic.
0: <laughs> right, right. The dragon's breath uh, instead of the warp drive and, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, and the entire interior of the ship looks like some sort of Renfair castle. Uh, yeah, it, he says it's a very distracting environment. You so, know,
2: one thing I find interesting, though, about the, the the Renfair planet, this has to be a direct dig on the, the Native American planet in TNG and Voyager. This idea, you know, the, that all the Native Americans left Earth to create their own planet. Right. Well, the idea that all these Renfair uh, enactors went off to their own planet. And that's even, even if it wasn't a direct intent to do that, that's a dangerous uh, risk to take. I, to I wouldn't do, say it's a dig. Poke I wouldn't say it's a dig. It could be a riff on the idea. Yeah, so it could be again, it could be uh, taken as such. And I, I think that's a dangerous, uh, dangerous, ste- dangerous step, just because of how uh, people are you know, rightfully concerned about issues with Native Americans and so on and representation of Native Americans today. So except this is well, this is I
1: mean, I understand some people could be hypersensitive about this, but this is a um, trope in science fiction that you frequently encounter of planets are often founded by people with a common culture, whatever that culture happens to be, um, right. and there's some logic to that. You know, I mean, like you want a certain—if you want to ha- hang together as a colony on a planet, um, you need a certain base level culture in common. Things like a common language at a minimum. And so you'll find planets in different science fiction IPs where it's like, okay, this planet was founded by people from China, or this people planet was founded by people from Japan, or this planet was founded by people from Scotland, or things like that. We even see it in um, in in the Huniverse, where you have the Starship UK for right. example yeah so so that didn't i i thought it was interesting that you had Rinfair people which kind of cuts across it's sort of a subculture yeah. rather right. than a culture forming a planet
0: basically the society for creative anachronism decided to go colonize a planet I mean, yeah. if, if that would be the yeah i could imagine it's star wars planet you know where people go found i mean it's sort of like you know <laughs> let's do galaxy's edge but do a real one you know that sort of mm-hmm. thing uh there there is a, a nice one with uh one of the things Lower Deck does well is it brings up fan questions, fan like the sorts of things fans sit around and go, "But why this?" You know that sort of thing. And so we we have this this scene where Boimler and Mariner and they're in their quarters with Tandy and Rutherford, and uh, Boimler's got a phaser rifle, and Mariner asks the question that everyone asks: "What's the difference between a phaser rifle, and what makes a phaser rifle different from a hand phaser?" And and he's yeah. like, and he says, "Because you, you have to hold it with two hands." Like, <laughs> I've
1: always assumed it's also more powerful. Exactly.
0: And maybe a longer range or something. Yeah, it is kind of, but it's kind of funny. It's like a, fa- a hand phase is pretty powerful. I mean, you can disintegrate. So, yeah, phase rifles you just look cool. Dis-
1: disintegrate <laughs> bigger things at longer distances. Right. That's true. Exactly. You know, it's just like if you said, okay, what's the difference between a handgun and a rifle? Well, right. okay, yeah. rifles have longer ranges and they're more powerful. And so Inacurate. you can. Right. take down a bigger target at a longer range that's true that's true um so let's hit the uh the 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 obvious thing about this episode and get it out of the way okay we have this plot where billups mom is trying to trick him into not being a virgin and so once again we have sex on playing a, a plot element here and and I'm not a fan of that. Mm. Um, I, this is two episodes now where uh, this season we've had two episodes where sex is a plot element. A major um, plot element. A, yeah. A significant one. Yeah. yeah. We've also had some minor references like the Klingon fornication helmet, and there was another one too. Um, and I, I, I want to know what's going on. I, so my complaining about them doing this is not going to change them doing this. Um, but what is going on with the ratings that they give these shows um, there? If you look at some shows there, they seem to have dramatically different standards of right. what they will slap a, a, a warning label on um, some of shows you you watch and it, and they will list drug use if people right. are having a cigarette right. or having a drink of alcohol, it's like that is way hypersensitive. You know, um, the uh, is and similarly, it's like some shows seem to be rated to include warnings for anything hypersensitive parents might possibly object yeah. to. See, letting their children see. On the other hand here, the only one of the episodes where we've had a sexuality warning is the one where we had the Mugatos. Yeah. Mm. And none of the others, including this one, have gotten any kind of sexuality warning or uh, suggestive dialogue warning or anything like that. This one got a violence warning. (laughs) What is what was I don't I guess there was violence in this, but I don't remember it well enough. It wasn't that big of an element or I would remember it. Um, But I just I do not get the inconsistency with which TV show ratings are done. And I think they ought to be done consistently. And I think that they ought to be done in a way that reflects the values of uh, of of
2: parents it, better than they do now. Well, and that's that was the goal of the, the TV ratings what was that 20 years ago when they brought out TVPG and all those. And it worked for a while on on broadcast and cable TV, but it's a problem with the digital distribution we have now, the online streaming and so on. There isn't the oversight that there is on cable and broadcast TV. The FCC doesn't deal with things like Paramount plus and Disney plus and so on. So they're free to do whatever they want. And of course you would hope that, CBS would be looking at this, saying, "Okay, we need to make sure we give it accurate ratings because eventually we might want to actually broadcast this on our CBS network uh, as a fill-in show or something like that." And so, um, it, it's, it's a real problem, though. You know, then you get the opposite extreme where you will take Amazon will give a bulk rating for an entire series. Right. So, if when an event happens one time in the entire series. It's the whole thing, you know, so Stargate. like uh, Stargate, Stargate <laughs> SG-1 got slapped with a nudity rating for the entire series, even though the only episode with actual nudity is the first one.
0: Right. And they never did you know, it so again. It, yeah,
2: they never did it again. I mean, they, they hinted at it, but nothing you actually saw. Right. And it it was such an inconsistency that Amazon just does the lazy way. Uh, CBS apparently does the other way of, well, we'll we'll think about it.
0: And it just even apart from the ratings, it it, it makes me wonder what the... Producers of the show, where they're going with this? I mean, the, was it not popular enough in the first season? They said we need to spice it up in the second season. I, I so
1: there. When this kind of stuff comes up in science fiction, it is sometimes attributed. I mean, it can be attributed to marketing, but um, sometimes it's attributed to fan service, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's attributed to author interest. Mm. And I, I suspect it's a little bit of both in this case. Right. Um, oftentimes you have series that play it a little. They can go to opposite extremes. They can either put the sexy stuff up front to attract attention to it, or they can hold it back and reveal it later after they're established. And uh, Battlestar Galactica did the first Mm-hmm. Where you have Cylon sex in the very first episode, you know, yeah, um, and then they back off because it's not really what the show is about. That was a gimmick to get people watching in the beginning, and then they don't do it as much as the show goes along. Here we have kind of the reverse, and I, 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 I think that, um, I mean, I don't like it, but I am. Not expecting they're going to totally ruin it, right? um, Either Uh, they seem to have enough sensibilities that they're not they they're not going to go too crazy with it. Certainly, that's my hope and expectation based on the way they've used it so far. It's it's been enough that I find it annoying, but it hasn't been so much that I can't ignore it. Right? What I do like this time, though is we have the characters defending somebody's virginity, (laughs) right? I just don't think I just don't think that would have happened on Gene Roddenberry's watch where (laughs) the success in this the victory at the end of the episode is they've preserved this guy's virginity. And that's the triumph. And that's what they're happy about. Right. And 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 so it's like, if you're going to go in this direction, okay, that's one I haven't seen
2: before. And I appreciate that. (laughs) One thing I think that one of many things that irritates me about all this is there's so many more interesting ways they could have done this. They could have you know, done this where Billups has the choice between leaving the ship and becoming king. And this is the path they chose. And right. it's just it, it, it irritates me because you have, again, you talk about this renfair planet. You have so much possibility with the technology, with the, the behaviors of the people and everything. And they go to the lowest common denominator. They go as low as they can. Well, and it's the lowest would be poop, not poop, common. Poop, poop That's a bad choice of words, bad choice of <laughs> words. But the low, the, they go they go low morally. You know, they go yeah. with sexuality instead of so many other things. You could add jousts on the ship. I mean, they had a horse on the ship. Why did not we have a jousting scene instead? <laughs> right. You know, something like that.
1: That yeah, reminds me, funny. by the way, I, I like the way the Renfair people have renamed like the chief engineer of their ship is the chief blacksmith.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, that it was That was good. Uh,
2: dragon fire is plasma yeah,
0: yeah yeah um so and then there's the other half of the episode which is the the b plot or or could almost be the a plot which is uh boimler and mariner so we find out that mariner mariner is sabotaging boimler's efforts to get promoted and impress his superiors he's supposed to go on this mission with ransom to this planet of giant centipedes and Mariner, they're going to wrangle centipedes <laughs> right and mariner goes to ransom behind his back and says oh Boymiller doesn't want to go anymore he wants to go with me on this this uh mission to take the evil su- supercomputer and, to the day he's not Institute. ready and, and he's, he's not ready for it yet right right and on the other hand Boymiller keeps using his sh- short time on the titan to make himself seem you know more capable more important uh which i love the fact that mariner calls it. you keep talking about your study abroad which is a very funny like college student thing like oh yeah you you went to england for a semester and now you've now you're an expert on british culture or on europe being european like now you show up to class wearing an ascot and uh a tweed jacket like stop it you're not that c- cultural or, or, or urbane and uh i like that that element of uh, the the relationship there, there that they've developed um
1: yep. they also seem to be I mean, I'm I, I'm getting the vibe that they're heading towards a reconciliation on that point, where ultimately he's going to have to let go, except for occasional jokes. Yeah, he's going to have to let go of the Titan stuff, and she's going to have to stop standing in his way.
0: Right, right. right. Uh, and then if we mentioned that they crash land on on a planet, a you know, a, a ship graveyard. Where other ships have crashed with the supercomputer, and Mariner at one point says, "Evil computers are so chatty because they just won't shut up <laughs> about connecting it to the uh, to the computer of the the shuttle to to help hey, them out." I can.
2: I can fix your replicator. Just hook me up and I'll get you all the nice cold water you want. <laughs>
0: yes. we we'll take some lemonade, some, some sparkling water. <laughs> and, uh,
2: their their replicator
1: is broken, so all it will make is black licorice. <laughs>
0: That's right. And Mariner is so mad. She wants to bury. Uh, she says, I want to bury it like Data's head, <laughs> which is a reference to TNG when Data's head got left in a cave. Time uh, zero. Time zero. Uh boy says it was just left in a cave uh, but we have a duty to respect sentient life when he says that was that was he was this part of his plan already that this that you mentioned jimmy where he was uh turning the uh, agamas you know against itself
1: i don't i don't know um but they have established foolishly that Data is uh is sentient life, and <laughs> thus that uh, that would apply to agamas too, given the typical starfleet namby pamby let's all yeah. join tentacles and sing
2: kumbaya nonsense that they have going on in this show, <laughs> yeah well, they even kind of call it out doesn't mariner say or yeah mariner say something like stupid starfleet morals <laughs> or
0: right right uh they eventually make their way to a different derelict ship that apparently has. Parts that are still working. Uh, After a detour past a uh, a tree of some sort that has fruit that tastes uh, coincidentally like black licorice. (laughs) (laughs) The only source of
1: moisture they have is the black licorice fruit tree. Yeah, that that was (laughs) that was
2: nice. I see. I would love that because I love black licorice. I'm one of those anise flavors. I love it.
0: That'd be
1: great. I like it too, but uh, I gather it's quite polarizing.
0: Don't eat too much of it. it. It can kill you. Actually, the guy in Massachusetts died from eating too much black licorice.
1: Well same thing with water dude
0: <laughs> exactly <Yep. laughs> exactly uh so they get the yeah, boy gets uh agamas to open up the door of the ship and gets him on board and po- to power up the systems from his own internal power supply that was uh, the, apparently his his plan um and agamas who thinks he's one now like reveals you foolish humans i'm going to destroy you with my murder drones and the drones like he has this vision that we see The drones look like the weapons from TNG's The Arsenal of Freedom. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're flying through those those funny drones. Uh, But it was a trick. And so um, he turned the manipulative supercomputer trope on its head, which was fun. So I like that part of it. That
1: was nice. Also, like once he reveals you're only attached to the dimmer switch, Agamas is like, I will blind you. And he starts <laughs> flicking the light on and off really fast. <laughs> yes.
0: There's only two left. Uh, and then, as we mentioned, uh, they, they eventually get their way to the uh, make their way to the Daystrom Institute on Earth, which looks just like the, the Daystrom Institute we saw in Picard. So it's the same place. And it's also the first time we see Earth in Lower Decks, which for whatever that is, means, but uh, and then gets left behind in in the. Uh, <laughs> there are so many megalomaniacal evil supercomputers that they have a whole storage room for it. Like people, stop making evil AIs. That's it's just <laughs> they stop doing that. Anyway, and they well, spend
2: the, they spend the whole time arguing against each other who's going to be the one to destroy the the <laughs> the lab- laboratory there and take over the world and
0: <laughs>
1: right
2: so and we need to actually avoid making them in the first
1: place which is a problem yeah, right. and in f- in in fact this has been talked about it's um you know if something is smarter than us even if you was install an off switch on it um everything's going to it all all that will do is focus its attention on the off switch <laughs> right and you yep. and you're going to get lots of conversations about that off switch <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So, any uh, anything else about this episode, Father Corey? Uh, nothing else here. I uh, actually
2: I forgot that one thing we didn't mention is that that Boimler is actually able to use the supercomputer, contrary to Mariner's understanding. Mariner thinks that he's turning against her, but right. he's actually he stuns her at one point with, with the phaser. Oh yeah,
0: we didn't mention that. Yeah, and and, uh,
2: and she thinks, oh great, now he's now he's in league with the supercomputer, and he's like, no, I need to get you out of the way so I can do I can get the supercomputer to get us to the power to do the distress call
1: right he and he said he, i believe he said he needed agimus to believe that i had yep. turned and that's why i stunned you
0: that's yep, probably exactly. the, the violence from the violence rating because he he tackles mariners that's beating yeah. her up even though she has a broken yeah. arm <laughs> Yeah, Well fractured if, okay fra- fractured. well yeah fra- fractured is kind of like a broken arm but in any case yeah, that uh, was she's winged yeah,
2: yeah. yeah that was it so.
0: okay jimmy anything left
2: Oh, I thought it was
1: interesting. So all this time we've had this guy, I liked the fact that even though I didn't like what they did, I liked the fact that we have an episode fleshing out the backstory of one of the bridge crew. Mm-hmm. So we know a lot more about Billups now than we did before. And he turned out to be something, you know, much more interesting. I mean, up to now, he's been this kind of white bread guy named Andy Billups. Right. And, and his, we find out his actual name. It's not Andy. It's and Erethio um, <laughs> and he's from this Renfair planet where everything is named after magic and stuff like that and they have actual royalty and he's royalty and um it is it is it it, it was nice to have a build out of one of the bridge crew like that i hope they do similar build out episodes for other characters. Um I'd love to know, uh, you know, where Dr. Tana comes from or hear about Shacks or um ransom uh, you know, or ransom or, ransom yeah. or people yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. There was some fun stuff in this episode. I I especially liked the supercomputer stuff and the renfair the renfair elements of it and uh um I I wish they hadn't kind of messed with the other aspect of it, but uh Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season goes. All right. I think that about does it for our discussion. We do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Patrick, Mike and Angie G, Gregory L, Charles J, and Father Jeff H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think about Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and huzzah! <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, black licorice, the least nutritious food that tastes the most like poison.